0: It's
1: Welcome in hour number two, everybody, Sports Daily, as we continue to spend time with a fantastic Sunflower Showdown round one. Uh, we will continue that conversation into this hour. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Caster, Jad Chambers producing. Our thanks to Brian Haney, voice of the Kansas Jayhawks. Tough day to have to call in, but he's always good about doing it. Um, here with us as we react to it. We'll have Kevin Saul, we hope, sometime in the second hour. We're tracking that down. We'll get that for you as soon as we get it. Let's continue the conversation we sort of started there, Tommy, and, and, you know, storming the court, chanting things, none of that bothers me. I did think that Jerome Tang has handled it this week as well as he can, coming back out afterward and chanting with the fans, changing the chant, them sort of getting on board with that. It's going to take that, but I but I think the, the best thing for K-State fans that don't like that stuff will be to continue to win, right? Because as K state continues to win and if this, you know, train rolls for a long stretch of time because we've seen glimpses of this over the years but never that real extended stretch, then it does just sort of become another big game and you get used to it. But like those things are special and and it's been a long time and and you got to let that stuff be exciting. No, you should never be near the coaches after the game. That part, you know, I, I'm cool with most stuff. That stuff's not cool. I was at the Jamari trailer game. Like, you cannot do that. That can't happen while KU people are still out there. You gotta figure out a way to make it wait. Cause it's dangerous, quite frankly, and something nobody wants. The perfect way to ruin a, a great night all around. Um, uh, but it it's it's just one of those things that they'll have to work with. As we make our way through. All right, we're going to get an open ready here because Kevin Saul joins us now on Sports Daily. Hit it, Jack.
0: Hey, Shocker fans, want the latest on Wichita State Athletics? Let's go right to the source with Shocker AD Kevin Saul.
1: And we welcome in Kevin Saul, Athletic Director of Wichita State. We'll. We'll ask you and start in an interesting place, just because of the timing of this, Kevin. The, just a massive—I'm sure you watched Sunflower Showdown last night. It was fantastic. You had the students going nuts, uh, maybe in a in a way that makes some people uncomfortable. But you had a court storming at the end that definitely got a little uncomfortable. When you're sitting and trying to control something like that in a seat like you have, that that's a tall order and one that's got to be hard. Uh, to to try and get everybody to settle down for just long enough to make it through that
0: you know there's no question about it uh, good to have uh, good to be with you guys this morning thanks for having us on your show you know I think uh, I have a unique perspective because I spent about twelve to fifteen years of my career in event management and and facility operations and so field and court stormings were squarely in in uh, in my wheelhouse to to try and control or mitigate as best we could and you know there's there's a lot of different philosophies out there at the end of the day um, you know a lot of conferences have have levied fines associated with uh, getting on the field or the court and uh, certainly understand the reasoning behind that there's also an element of safety that if you uh, and, and public relations that you know if you do it the wrong way as an institution it, it'll end up being worse than the fine that you that you pay and, and so it all comes down to just trying to be safe safe and respectful, take care of your officials, take care of your home and visiting team, and make sure you get them in the right spots and then allow people to celebrate in a safe and and secure way and uh, obviously then having safe places to to exit the floor and and all those things. So um, it certainly uh, is a unique part of our business for sure.
2: Well, Kevin, let's take a look at uh, the most uh, two recent Wichita State basketball games. Uh, Last Sunday, Shockers on the road against South Florida, four-point win. And then on Saturday, back at home in the Roundhouse, a four-point win against Tulsa. Both of those games required comebacks. Both games, uh, the Shockers were down at halftime, able to come back and get victories in both of them. And the Shockers are two and three in conference play right now. When you take a look at the overall state of Wichita State basketball, where do you think that stands right now?
0: Well, it's a good question. I think you, you've got to dive into the details, like like everything, right? Uh, you know, you, you love the comeback wins, certainly. Uh, um, love the, the, uh, the guys and how they responded and how they fought back. Um, you, 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 from the roster to our coaching staff, um, you love that aspect of it. Uh, there's always things to improve on, right? You'd like to see the ability to get up early and, and maintain a lead where you don't necessarily have to to get to that spot. We've all seen those, those teams that create identities coming back late and winning ballgames, you know, we just uh, beat a Tulsa team. And I think their first lead in the game was at a minute 38 left in the second half. And um, certainly there's a lot of successful teams that do that. It's, it's dangerous. Uh, It's a little bit of fool's gold to think you can flip the switch uh, late in the second half and, and, and make up 12 to 14 points. And I know both our, our team and our coaches would much rather be up 14 at that point in time uh, learning how to close out a game and, and bleed the clock out and, and those sort of things, but again, you t- you, you never apologize for wins. So we uh, are certainly appreciative and respectful of both of those opponents, and and we take a step up and playing at uh, at Memphis tomorrow night.
1: Kevin, when with a game like that looming, and the you know the the buzz of the program seems to be waning. What is the buzz of the program behind the scenes? What kind of conversations are you having with boosters? with fans, um, where do things sit on all the legwork that we don't see right now for you in the basketball program?
0: Well, I think whether it's publicly or, or internally, I think at the end of the day, we've got to be transparent. And um, I think we've done a good job of that in the first six months here and understanding what the challenges are within our program and how we're, uh, our plan to address those challenges. and And certainly we're, you guys, we've talked at length about um, the elements outside of the product on the floor, you know, our service framework and, and how we're running events and our game production and, and fan experience, and all those elements are critically important. Uh, we have a lot of areas that we need to improve in, and, and certainly we, we have our fair share administratively. And, and obviously, we need to see um, improvement uh, in our product on the floor, right? We, we don't aspire to be a 500 basketball team. Um, our coaches aren't, aren't pleased with that. Uh, administration, uh, Shocker Nation. So we have high expectations for this program to be a consistent championship-level program. And we're going to continue to work uh, every day on the elite attention to details that are going to require to get there.
2: Kevin, one more from me about Shocker basketball. The next game uh, on the schedule tomorrow night on the road at Memphis. Memphis is 3-2 and two in the conference, but they're 8-0 no, at home. They have not lost on their home court so far this season. And we've seen Wichita State, we talked about it a couple minutes ago, Struggle out of the gate and have to come back in games. I would imagine uh, that, from your perspective and from you know anybody's perspective, uh, having a, a good and fast start to the game is going to be essential for Wichita State.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt. Coach Coach Isaac Brown and I talked uh, yesterday on the concourse at, at Coke Arena about uh, uh, efforts that they're they're making to uh, to address specifically what Memphis does well in terms of of pressure and double teams and, and they're doing some six on five drills uh, where the defense has got six offense five to try and create the pressure and replicate the pressure that we're going to see with Memphis. There's no doubt that any coach in the country is going to tell you, we want to start fast. Um, you know, we want to get up um, eight to 10 points and have a, that initial run because certainly uh, that allows you to, to game plan throughout the game and be in a really good spot um, at the same time. You know, you can see games where, like last night, Kansas State's up by 14 at one point, and and then all of a sudden, um, I think they had a three-minute and 58-second scoring drought, and it's tied with Kansas. So it's not about starting fast. It's not about uh, finishing strong. It's really about putting 40 minutes together of, of high-quality, mistake-free basketball. And when you play your best, if you lose to your opponent, you tip the cap, and and you move on to the next one. So we're just trying to maximize every opportunity we have within the 40 minutes.
1: We haven't talked in a while. Kevin Saul, Wichita State Athletic Director, joining us about the baseball program. Obviously, changes have happened there. Eric Wedge is out. Um, How is that process now coming as we are entering that season, you know, of, of things really happening within the program? How is the team handling that? How is the coaching staff handling that? And how have things gone since that change has been made?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that question. We're really excited uh, as we get into the, the winter sport to spring sport overlap here. We've got softballs working really hard at it. Baseball's working hard at it. Student athletes are back and classes started yesterday. And, and uh, so we feel really good about that, specifically with baseball. You know, our guys are um, they, they are they're excited um, I, I will share that with you. I think um, we're in a blessed spot to have an interim head coach in Lauren Hibbs, who's been 27-year head coach at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte. Um, we've got um, a phenomenal staff um, that works with Lauren from Lottie Talbot that handles a lot of the, uh, the details, to Mike Pelfrey, um, our pitching coach, to Mike Sirianni, who's uh, incredible with, with our offense and works really hard in recruiting. He's got it very well respected nationally in the recruiting uh, world in college baseball, Nate Briscoe, you know, Connor Barrons. those guys are working really hard and our, our student athletes are very excited for the next uh, the journey the next five months. You know, I think we've got, some returning players that are, are, are going to be very good, I think, offensively, at least early on right now. We think we're going to be able to score some runs. Obviously, what happens on the, on the mound will be critical uh, for us in terms of identifying those roles for your Friday, Saturday, Sunday starters. And then what do we, what do we look like midweek? Some of the best baseball teams that I've seen establish those roles early and guys are comfortable in those roles and, and they understand how their success connects to their teammates success or the the next pitcher on the staff and um, every inning counts and every pitch counts we did a study when i was at the university of kentucky um, one year when we were we felt like we were um, basically a game or two away from the ncaa tournament and so we kind of dissected the season and we looked at um, plays and most generally, whether it's in a football game or college basketball game or in a baseball game, you can point to four or five plays, um, you know, a handful of plays or a handful of pitches. Uh, that might determine the fate of a particular contest that might determine your fate as an NCAA team or not. And so I think that's the approach that our baseball team is taking, that the details matter. And you guys have heard me say it a bunch. I'm going to continue to say it a bunch. The elite attention to detail is ultimately what creates championship teams. So our guys are excited. They're working really hard at it. And uh, we're looking forward to opening up at Long Beach State in mid-February.
2: Kevin, let's talk about shocker softball. The coaches' pool came out, and it uh, looks like the league's coaches are. Trying to decide between UCF and Wichita State to win the conference, both of those teams uh, split first place votes and UCF ended up in first place and Wichita State in second place. Obviously, preseason polls uh, don't really matter, but it does show that there's a lot of confidence in what Coach Benner is doing with Wichita State, returning Addison Barnard, Sidney McKinney, several other players, a lot of production coming back. What are your expectations for Shocker softball this season?
0: Well, I think first and foremost, as Coach Brenninger and I are aligned in our expectations um, to uh, to maximize our opportunities that lay before us. You're, you're correct. Preseason polls are um, are worth about as much as the paper that they're on, or uh, you know, it's 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 a measure of respect uh, preseason with uh, your peers in the league. But I think obviously you got to go out and earn that respect. Uh, the preseason poll is not going to get you a league championship, and so you got to go out and earn that. Um, we've, got, uh, we've got some unbelievable uh, young ladies in our program. Um, we will, you know, as I talked to, to Coach Bredmenor, we're going to be able to score it well. And as uh, she has mentioned on numerous uh, news outlets, it's really the success, the success of their season is going to be how consistent they can be in the circle uh, with the pitching. And um, so we're excited. Um, they're excited, uh, I think, globally with our softball program guys. Uh, we've made some investments here in the last 16, 18 months as an institution in the athletics department that communicates very clearly that softball is important to us from uh, new batting cages to a new dugout renovation on the third base side that's going on right now uh, to lights, um, all an effort to potentially host the AAC postseason tournament championship uh, in 2024. And we're certainly making um, our efforts and our desires to do that be very well known. Uh, we've got some exciting news uh, that's going to be coming out here in the next seven to, de- to ten days. That not only communicates what we've done here in the short term, but what our long-term plans are for softball as well, and how that connects into the future of our softball program. So, uh, we want to be an elite-level uh, softball program that consistently competes for championships. Coach Brent Benner has has certainly gotten us there. Uh, we've reinvested in her and her staff and a contract extension um, within a couple of weeks when I got here. So. Um, they're unbelievable representatives of Wichita state and, uh, we look forward to the journey together.
1: Uh, one more on softball before we let you go, Kevin, a lot more home games this year than last, which I think people are excited about. How excited about it are you, um, seeing and ticket sales and everything else with all these home games, uh, this year versus last year, are people, you know, putting money where their mouth is at this point. How's, how's all that looking as far as ticket sales and, and the buzz going into these home games coming up pretty it's, soon?
0: It's been very encouraging, and the buzz has been firm. So that uh, that part's been really, really good. We've got a lot of folks that are excited about uh, this year's softball team and overall our softball program and the direction of that softball program. I think they'll be even more excited here in the next 7 to 10 days as we release our news. But uh, ticket sales are going well. We're building another two decks out in the outfield, so we'll have four of those pavilions uh, to be able to sell those those group and corporate um, experiences out there. So that piece is good. Season ticket sales are going very well. And uh, I would anticipate that we will have multiple sellouts through the season. So I would encourage Shocker Nation to call 978FANS, uh, our ticket office, and get your tickets early uh, to uh, Wichita State Softball because we've got uh, 27 home uh, games. I think last year we had 11 guys And the schedule that Coach Bredbenner has put together with her staff is unbelievable. We are hosting Stanford on a midweek. Um, We've got Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. We've got Kansas, Kansas State. We've got the full AAC slate. Uh, There are two uh, non-conference tournaments that we're hosting at home in March. Um, So we're really excited about the schedule and uh, certainly want to encourage Shocker Nation to to get out to Wilkins State in the season.
1: Yeah, you'll get the weather good, and, and I think you'll have more than just a couple of sellouts. I think people are jacked for it. Kevin, we appreciate it. We'll do it again in a couple of weeks here and uh, and just continue to take the state of things as we make our way toward that spring season.
0: Sounds great. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate being on your show, and go Shockers.
1: There goes Kevin Saul, Wichita State's athletic director. We'll come back, react to some of that, continue to look at last night and ahead at what's next on the schedule for both the Shockers and KU and K-State. It's all coming up on Sports Daily. Welcome back, everybody. Sports Daily rolling on on a Wednesday here. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Caster. Our thanks to Brian Haney, Voices of the Jayhawks. Our thanks to Kevin Saul, Wichita State Athletic Director. A uh, lot, of, lot of interesting stuff happening with the Shockers, including that softball team uh, getting picked second by a hair. Uh, but 100 out of 121 home runs returning from a year ago. Can't wait for that. Can't wait to... To get out there and enjoy the weather and take in a softball game. Hopefully the baseball program follows suit and gets a little buzz and momentum. Uh, Tommy, but it's you know it's basketball season. And that Sunflower Showdown, I, I can't stop thinking about all the different things that that game created and presented nationally. And I'm watching that game. I, I absolutely think you've got two teams there. Kansas and Kansas State that will be in the second weekend of the NCAA tournament, right? Which means a Sweet Sixteen berth. Now, I know that's not you know the expectation. A lot of people have it much higher than that. I've always said a good season, even for great teams, if they fall short. If you've made it through the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament for a program like Kansas, right? That's that's there all the time. That that should be the you know that should be the line right that if you get there it's not going to be a disappointing season might be a disappointing end but you know depending on it but i think both these teams are going to be in the sweet 16 um, they they are built in a way that sweet 16 teams are built you know they've got great point guards they've got star players um i i think these look like two sweet 16 teams to me
2: yeah i think so too um I think for the Jayhawks, there are a couple of things dependent on that. They've got a ton of talent. But as we talked about with Brian Haney, the bench is really, really small. That was one of my concerns going into the game last night that you and I discussed, was that the bench production has not been good for Kansas uh, in, in Big 12 games. And some of that has to do with probably the trust that Bill Self has in some of these bench players and reserve players. But last night when you foul out three of your five starters and you're going to guys that, you know, Bill self probably doesn't trust in those crunch time scenarios. That's going to be a concern. So they're going to have to develop that bench a little bit more and get more consistent production if they want to get to the second weekend uh, of the, the NCAA tournament. So I think that's a big concern too. And then also for the Jayhawks, where do you go when the shots aren't falling? And I think that KJ Adams is the easy answer because he's been so good uh, but when the, when the deep shot, when the outside shot is not falling for Kansas, they've got to have a more consistent option at the rim. Uh, and so those are my two big concerns with the Jayhawks as far as what their long-term overall path is uh, to go deep into the tournament. And then for the Wildcats, uh, it was pretty clear to me that the strategy last night was to try to shut down Marquise Noel as best they could, and they did that. And I think that Bill Self probably thought uh, if we can limit Noel and completely take him out of the game, that's going to give us our best chance to win. And I think that probably did give KU their best chance to win. But for other teams, if they decide that they want to try to implement that strategy too and take away Marquise Noel, what does that mean for the Wildcats? Can they rely on Keontae Johnson? I think from last night, yeah, the answer is they can. And then who else is there? Desi Sills, of course, had a great game. Naquan Tomlin uh, scored in double digits too. But I want to see that consistently.
1: Yeah, I think Naquan Tomlin's development is a big part of that for Kansas State. Um, They, One, Keontae Johnson and Jalen Wilson are so similar to me and that they are very, very comfortable having to shoulder the load if circumstances make that a necessity. Um, I think... We we will not see another game where McCuller, Adams, and Grady Dick all foul out, right? Like that that's not gonna happen again either. Yeah. So for KU, I think the secondary scoring options are plentiful, right? It Grady Dick is is we all know what Grady Dick is. He's the catalyst, right? Like he's he's the guy that as the season goes on, we just sort of expect will continue to develop. But K J Adams but they've is gotta pre- get
2: they've gotta get way more production from Kevin McCullough. They don't For need sure. McCuller. Yeah. They don't need him to be the number 1 scoring option or even the number 2 scoring option. Uh but and I haven't looked at the plus minus. And I think he's, he's I think the game, he's about think he 11 points in, a game, right? I in the in the, league. in the way. Yeah, well, I think I think in Big 12 play he's averaging like 8 points a game and I'm pretty sure his field goal percentage is like 33%. Yeah, he's got to pick games. it up. It's got to be better than that.
1: It does. It does. But KJ Adams presents an opportunity there. Grady Dick, we know will do it and even Juan Harris at times has done it. So I think they've got enough options. And I think the reason I like both of these teams so much is they've got different ways they can attack you. And they, they seem comfortable to me playing in a variety of styles. Think all the way back to K-State, Wichita State, right? Think all the way back there or Oklahoma State and those teams that will really bog it down and just go slow deep. K-State's been comfortable there. They've been very comfortable in a fast-paced game which is what we saw before KU flipped that around last night and said, nope, we're not going to let that happen. Uh, so that's where I think they're most comfortable. But then last night, I think both of them showed us too, like we're comfortable just making this an ugly, scrappy, physical, get to the line kind of a game. And I think that versatility, not not so much like individually for each team, but as a team, strategically, that offensive, you know, diversity is what I really like about them. One thing we can always count on for Bill Self teams, and I think it's always been the most underrated part of his coaching, is how much better defensively his teams get from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. By the end of the year, I can't off the top of my head remember a time where KU didn't have a top defensive team come tournament time. That's what they always do. We don't know that about K-State yet. But they're they're sort of trending that way, right? Like we're starting to see this team defend better. Now the sample size is non-existent on whether that's going to be a trend like we typically see with KU. But if it continues the way it's going, we may see K State become an elite defensive team by the end of the year. By the time that those things click at the end of the year, and if that happens, uh, just another thing, right? That you like about these type of teams in the tournament. I just think they're. You know they're they're more versatile than we thought they'd be, when especially K State when it was like oh is anybody besides Keontae Johnson going to do it? And then of course Marquise Noel went on his run, but now we're seeing it from Desi Sills and Naquan Tomlin, guys that we I mean who knows what they might be by the end of the year? I, I just think they're both built to make deep runs, and I think that they will.
2: Yeah, there, there was the uh, possibility on the table for last night's game. And, it, and ultimately, I think it turned out that way a little bit with it going into overtime. But there was that possibility that it could have been a shootout uh, because we've seen that Kansas State can do that. They did it on the road at Texas a couple of weeks ago. Um, and that's great offensively when you've got that firepower offensively to be able to score a ton of points. And we we always go back, and I don't mean this as a criticism to Kansas State whatsoever. It's just a reality that they put up 116 points against Texas, and we've talked about that at length about how impressive that is. But we also don't talk about that they gave up 103 to Texas in that game too, right? So that there are, uh, there have been games where defensively it hasn't all clicked for the Wildcats. Now they played defensively better last night against Kansas. They needed to, and I didn't have uh, any concerns about their defensive efforts. Uh, last night whatsoever and I think that as they continue to move forward I think that that will continue and that improvement will be there uh, on the defensive end of the court and it's just going to be a matter of how well can they disrupt the teams that they're playing in Big 12 play and can they jump passing lanes can they get rebounds can they help on defense like all of those things I think are going to play into account and if they can continue the high-powered offensive output and be able to shut down teams on the defensive side of the floor. I mean, obviously, I mean, this is, you know, just a, an obvious statement. They're going to win a lot more basketball games. And so I don't, have, uh, I don't have nearly the amount of concern defensively for Kansas State right now as I sit here today as I did a couple of weeks ago after, yeah, they hung 116, but they also, they also gave up 103 to the Longhorns. Those concerns defensively are, are kind of off the table for me right now.
1: Yeah, they are for me, too. I think they're comfortable playing at whatever pace they need to play at. Again, I I think they're the most comfortable playing at a fast pace. I mean, I think that's where they'd like to have it if they can dictate things. And they were able to dictate it for a little bit last night.
2: Yeah, what I thought was so incredible about the way that these two teams matched up last night is that both teams like to play fast. But the result of them playing fast is different. Kansas wants to play fast and then be able to, you know, shoot the outside shot. K State wants to play fast and absolutely attack you with at the rim. That's the way those two teams operate. So yeah, the, the the speed of play is there, but the ultimate result of them playing in transition, getting up the court quickly, it's a little bit different. And it just so happened that in this game, the outside shot for Kansas didn't fall, and K State they were able to attack the rim a lot more.
1: Yeah, I I think so too. And it, it's it was cool. It was awesome. Uh, you know, I don't know what else we can say about it. 869-1240, your thoughts on it, but just uh, about as fun a first round of the Sunflower Showdown as we could have had. They get the second round really quickly, and I really don't know that either, you know, home court advantage matters, and Allen Fieldhouse is going to matter because it's evenly matched teams, and who would have ever thought, you know, in, I don't know, September that we would be talking about, K-State and KU as an evenly matched game. And I don't know where you stand as a KU fan, you know, personally, obviously not professionally, but personally, I'm not hearing anything but KU fans be kind of excited about this. Sure. KU fans be kind of excited about this. Because if you can get that twice a year, three times a year, every year, man, that's going to be fun
2: there were a handful of years where that was the case. Um, I think back to the years of Bob Huggins uh, and early Frank Martin, like you've had the, the Michael Beasley years and things like that at Kansas state where that rivalry was intense and Kansas state was really good. And, you know, there were a couple of years under Bruce Weber, you know, when you've got Dean Wade and Kamal Stokes and Barry Brown and some of those guys, um, you know, where the, the rivalry was more intense, but the last couple of years it hasn't been. And, um, I'm going to tell you right now, as a KU fan, I have an intense amount of respect for Jerome Tang. Um, I think he's one of the best coaches in the country, and you know what? I think a lot of KU fans would say the same thing. Um, as a KU fan, Bruce Weber, I alternated between him annoying the crap out of me and him just amusing me. Like those, I kind of went back and forth on that. Um, you know, but he was obnoxious. And he was squeaky and jumping up and down on the sidelines. And there was always drama. Like, I remember him saying he wasn't going to cut his hair until KU's violations from the NCAA came <laughs> down. Like, there was a lot of weird drama that was going yeah. on uh, yeah. with Bruce Weber. And you knew that Bruce Weber and Bill Self didn't like each other. They didn't get along. Um, you know, Bruce Weber holding a mock funeral for Bill Self when he took over in Illinois. Like, it goes back a long way. Um, and so I think that while those teams weren't good for Kansas State and why, you know in the last couple of years of Bruce Weber there, none of that exists right now with Jerome Tang. Like, none of the off-the-court drama between the two programs really exists. It's more about how good of a coach Jerome Tang is. And, you know, we, we've said it before, the high-character, high-quality guy that he is. And then they win basketball games and they do it the right way. And the fact that it is a intense and purely physical and athletic rivalry. Um, That's got to make fans on both sides really excited because you know you're going to get the other team's best shot every single time.
1: Yeah, and and, Jerome Tang has made it all about K-State, which has always been the correct answer. Because it's not like that, obviously, in football. And in football, it is all about K-State. And just if that translates to the basketball program, which if they win, it will, by the way, just like it has for football, then it doesn't matter. There is no K-State or KU. It's K-State and KU, which is what we, by the way, hope for the football programs as well, right? You hope that Lance Lipold's going to get it to the point where it's K-State and KU, not or, not one is a big juggernaut over the other one. That, let's get them both, and that's good for yeah. both fan bases. And I and I do think in their heart of hearts, both fan bases hope for that. Um, well, think
2: about, by the way, for example, think about the uh, overall in-state intense rivalry in Oklahoma when you've got OU and Oklahoma State. And there are, even when those two teams are, you know, maybe not at the top of their game, or, or one might be a little bit more down, like you know that Bedlam is going to be crazy every single time. And that hasn't always been the case. with the you have sunflower to raise the floor. Yeah. Exactly, because the floor has been so low at times for Kansas State in basketball and at least in the last decade and a half for Kansas in football. So you've got now you know, both schools and the floor is being raised. Uh, I think that we're hopefully set up for a long time of really, really good matchups between these two programs.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think we will be. I, I think it's happening. Um, all right. We're going to take a quick break. We'll switch gears a little bit. 869-1240 can still take calls from you about last night's game. Uh, of course, a lot of other things happening uh, in the sports world. The quarterback slash coaching carousel that's bound to happen in the NFL is coming. 869-1240. Tommy and Jacob, we'll be back. Welcome back, everybody. Sports Daily on KFH. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Castor, hanging out with you on this Wednesday, reacting to Sunflower Showdown. NFL always in the news, Tommy. A couple interesting things that piqued my interest. One, Trey Lance uh, reacting to the Tennessee Titans poaching, basically, uh, somebody from the 49ers. Organization to be their new general manager, Trey Lance, reacts to that on social media with fingers crossed emojis. Trey Lance in an interesting position as Brock Purdy seems to be the future for San Francisco. Uh, You think Trey Lance is hinting at anything there?
2: I mean, yeah, sure. I think he would love to go to Tennessee because he's not going to be the starting quarterback in San Francisco. But I've got news for him. He ain't going to be the starting quarterback in Tennessee either. I mean, I know that they need some help at quarterback. Um, It wasn't good for Malik Willis when he replaced Ryan Tannehill, and Tannehill went down with that injury. So they've got to be looking for a quarterback. But it would be hard for me to believe that it's going to be Trey Lance. Yeah.
1: Well, I I don't know what the consensus on Trey Lance is. Unfortunately, we just haven't been able to see anything from him. because He's been hurt. So. That's why he's
2: not going to be the starting quarterback for Tennessee. Like, at this point, I feel like you've got to maybe go out and get somebody more proven, um, like a Derek Carr maybe, or, hey, maybe even a Jimmy Garoppolo as opposed to Trey Lance. Like, if I'm if I'm the Titans uh, and I know that the window is starting to close with Derek Henry and you don't have a ton of time left with the current roster, why would you want to go and get Trey Lance when he's not proven at all?
1: Well, it depends on, I mean, can you get Tom Brady? Can you get Aaron Rodgers? What can you get? And then you just make your way down the list. I think the question there are so is so many where...
2: better options for the Titans than Trey Lance to start a quarterback right now.
1: I agree. And I also think Trey Lance has a skill set similar to Malik Willis. If you're going to go that style of quarterback, you know, they drafted Malik Willis. So I agree with you. I don't think it makes a ton of sense, but it is interesting. And I don't know how much... Ran Carthen had to do with drafting Trey Lance as the new general manager. If he was a big Trey Lance guy, then it makes more sense, right? But I don't know that. You know, that was a decision uh, at the time. It's, it's impossible for us to know just right here, sitting here, who who was big on Lance and who wasn't. Um, Aaron Rodgers went on his buddy Pat McAfee's show, and I didn't watch or listen. I've, I've read the quotes. Um, so, you know, it sounds like the door is not shut. On a Rodgers return. The quote that's standing out is that Rodgers thinks that he could, in the right situation, be an MVP quarterback again. MVP of the league. And while that might seem like, are you kidding me? Remember that he won two in a row before this year. So, uh, it doesn't seem out of the question. I don't think that means he would say somewhere besides Green Bay. I... I don't know. I, I sort of just think he's going to retire, but if he does come back and if he is open to playing somewhere besides Green Bay, that gets interesting because it opens the door to a lot of things. Would he be interested in reuniting with Devontae Adams in Vegas? Um, would he be a candidate in Tennessee or follow Brett Favre's footsteps and, and go to Minnesota? Like there's all kinds of things that open up if, if he were to truly become a free agent. Basically, as Tom Brady's done over the years. So I don't know. I, I mean, would I like to see Aaron Rodgers back next year? Yeah, sure. I think this is really interesting. I'm not tired of the Brady Rodgers retirement thing. And, and I may be in the minority there, but I think it's compelling. I think it's really interesting. Uh, and I think that both of them are still capable of being good quarterbacks in the league.
2: I never have thought that Aaron Rodgers was going to step away after this season. Uh, even the whole, like, exchange, not wanting to exchange his jersey, to me, I just, in my mind, I thought, well, this is probably going to be his last game as a Packer. Um, and I think he's much more likely to go somewhere else and play next season because there are a lot of really compelling opportunities for him. There are a lot of football teams on the market right now that are looking for a quarterback, and I think that he can find himself a better situation than returning back to Green Bay. Don't forget He gave it a shot to come back. He wasn't going to come back to Green Bay and he decided to give it another chance. It wasn't all bad for him, but it certainly was a disappointing season for the Packers missing the playoffs and and all of that. Um, And so I think that with the limited time that he's got remaining in the NFL, I think he's much better off finding another team, finding another situation that's going to suit him better as opposed to walking away uh, with the ending that he had missing the playoffs in a game that they needed to win to get in and to continue on the season. That was not a storybook ending for Aaron Rodgers. I don't see him walking away.
1: I I, I don't know. I, I, I thought he was going to be done. Now I'm not sure. And that'll be interesting because there'd be a lot of interesting fits. Indianapolis would be an interesting fit. They've got some skilled receivers. I do think he'd want to go somewhere with some without so many young receivers, right, that he'd have to go through what he did this year to sort of get everybody on the same page. So. I don't know. I I love it, though. If we've got Brady and Rodgers as free agents just sort of floating around, the the possibilities are endless.
2: If they're both free agents this offseason, you can book it right now. One of them will end up in Vegas. One of them will be the next quarterback of the Raiders.
1: Yeah, I think Vegas has set themselves up for that, right? Like that that's what they're banking on or or you don't make such a jarring change from Derek Carr. And but both yeah. of
2: those make sense. Tom Brady reuniting with Josh McDaniels. Aaron Rodgers reuniting with Devontae yeah. Adams. They're both there. One of them, if they're both available and on the market and both intending to play next year, one of them will end up in Vegas.
1: Oh man, bring it on. That'll make the AFC West fun, more fun. Hopefully as fun as we thought it would be this year. All right, we'll come back. We'll wrap it up. Jacob and Tommy on a Wednesday, Sports Daily, coming back.